record button. <laughs> All right. I haven't podcasted in two weeks. So this is going to be great. So, <laughs> so <laughs> welcome all you Rugrats to the 90s first, where it's a podcast that is all that and a bag of chips. My name is Mike, and I got two awesome special guests with me. First, uh, down below me here is Cicero. Cicero, welcome to the 90s first. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastically well. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yes. it, it is always the 90s first in my head. So, <laughs> it's always uh, not. Yes. Oh, thank you. So, so happy <laughs> All right. Good, good, good. And then to my right, left on your uh, video screen is Chris. Uh, Chris, welcome to the 90s first. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for the invitation. Really appreciate it. And it's always good to reconnect with uh, with my very good friend Cicero. Yes, um, I, you know, just a little little background. Uh, we have a special episode today um, where these guys are actually experts in, um, and I'm not. So once again, very excited for them to be on the podcast. But um, I reached out to Cicero after uh, listening to him uh, on Unlocked, uh, which is IGN's number one Xbox show. Um, so I'm gonna put you on the spot, Cicero. Like right. that, that would be. That's something that would be high on my bucket list. So how is how is podcasting with like with Ryan McCaffrey and I think Brandon Tyrell was on that episode, yeah, right? Brandon Tyrell was yeah. On, was how on was show. that? Uh, it was it was amazing. Ryan Ryan and uh, you know these guys are very much exactly who you think they are. Um, yeah. They're very much those people uh, in 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 real life, and uh, you know I've been lucky enough to to have met them before at E3s and, and what have you, and, and also had Ryan as a guest on on a podcast that I used to do, uh, the Spawn on Me podcast. Uh, you guys yeah. should go check that check out that video game podcast. It's an excellent podcast hosted by uh, Khalif Adams now. Um, but uh, yeah, being being on Unlocked was 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 a dream come true. It was definitely Seriously. high on my bucket list. <laughs> uh, I've been I've been a fan of uh, I've been a you know I've a frequent reader of IGN uh, since 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 um, since it was the Imagine <laughs> Games Network and and uh, you know Dave Zid Zidtro and and all of those guys uh, way back in the day. Uh, so. Uh, listen to three red lights when that was the IGN podcast, the Xbox podcast, and of course podcast unlocked. So it was, uh, it was fantastic when, uh, when Ryan, Ryan messaged me and asked me to be a guest on the show. So it was, it was yeah, great. Great. dude, that, that would be something I would be giddy, man. I would be, yeah. I'd be yeah, like well, a little schoolgirl yeah. to be honest. Uh, yeah. Oh man. I, you know, I was jumping up and down with, with my skirt and, you know, uh, yeah. uh, laughing in the puddle. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was, it was a great time. Um, the response was great and and uh it, you know had i not been on there i wouldn't be here with you yeah well um yeah i mean you uh plugged your guys's show uh on unlocked which is why i brought you guys in today uh we're going to be talking about two star trek uh shows from the 90s deep space nine and voyager so um you guys run, please, uh, why don't, why don't Chris, why don't you chat about this? You guys run a Star Trek podcast, um, or at least you've been on a guest on Cicero's podcast. I don't know. Are you a co-host? No, there? No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, it, it is, okay. It's Chris, Chris is, he has the center chair. Chris, wow. <laughs> Chris, uh, please plug your stuff right now. It's, it's all about you guys right now. So what's sure, going on? Yeah. So the, the Star Trek podcast that you allude to is called Discovery Debrief, a Star Trek podcast, which is 
hosted by myself, by Cicero, uh, by our good friend Zaki Hassan, and by my wife, Rachel Clow. We all collaborate, and the impetus for getting together was that back in 2017, um, Star Trek was coming back to TV for the first time in 12 years with the premiere of Star Trek Discovery on the CBS All Access streaming service. And, um, you know, I've been podcasting on a pretty regular basis since about 2009. I started at Batman on Film and have mostly stayed in sort of the comic book arena and have extended into other areas and video games uh, and podcasting brought me into Cicero's orbit. The very first time we met was actually meeting in person at uh, the Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo out here okay. in 2014. And yeah. um, I always thought that Cicero was a spectacular podcaster and um, he always Ooh, has he's gassing this... you up a little. <laughs> no, it's true though. I mean, he's, he's, he always approaches things from such a, an interestingly analytical perspective on top of the fact that the guy just has heart. All you got to do is talk to him for five minutes mm -hmm. and you know it. So um, when it was time to, to... <laughs> well, and I've, I've been a Star Trek fan since before I could crawl. It seems I've been a Star Trek fan my entire life. So when the, when it was coming back to television, it became clear that oh, I've been podcasting for a while. There's a new Star Trek show time to put those things together. And oh, uh, awesome. so my wife was very excited to get into it with me. And then Zachy is a, a mutually great Star Trek fan. And I'd always seen Cicero on the periphery of Star Trek. I never really knew how into it he was before I asked him to join us for Discovery Debrief. And it became clear that uh, he was the right man for the job. And we've been doing it, been taking a little bit of a break because uh, my wife and I just had our first child in May. Oh, congrats, um, congrats. Thank you, yeah. And, and so things got complicated, but we're going to try and get back together pretty soon to finish out the discussions related to the first season of Star Trek Picard. So it started for yeah. Discovery. CBS has been really aggressively per pursuing more Star Trek content. So we're just taking a look at the future of the final frontier as a whole now. Right. Rightly so, right? I mean, people people have been clamoring for a new Star Trek show. I mean, I I feel <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, so in 2005, that was when uh Star Trek Enterprise went off the air. Enterprise. Um yeah. Enterprise is really polarizing among Star Trek fandom or at least it used to be. Now Discovery is the right, polar right, right. one. But, and, and Picard I've, I've, is heard, I've heard things. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. But um, but when Enterprise was coming out, um, it was a prequel show, so a lot of people thought that some of the ways that it tried to connect to the larger Star Trek canon and the shared world was questionable. I like Enterprise, personally. It definitely has its hit-or-miss episodes, but... Regardless, Star Trek Nemesis came out in theaters in 2002, and that seemed to sort of signify the beginning of the end for that iteration of Star Trek, leading up to the cancellation of Nemesis and by the, er, the of Enterprise, excuse me. And by the time Enterprise went off the air, there had always been a Star Trek show on TV since 1987, and um, they had all, save for Enterprise, run seven seasons. So, um, you know, you had TNG seven seasons, Voyager seven seasons, DS9 seven seasons, uh, and Enterprise four seasons. So you had 25 seasons of TV in 18 years. And by the time May of 2005 rolled around for the first time since 1986, there wasn't going to be Star Trek on TV that yeah. fall. 
So, um, you know, the movies in 2009 directed by J.J. Abrams started and that kind of kicked up a resurgence of some popularity for Star Trek. It actually made Star Trek weirdly popular, which I was never used to. Star Trek was always the weird thing and I was always the weird kid for liking it. So seeing it become popular was just very strange. Uh, and then those movies kind of petered out. And then now we have Star Trek on TV with all of this streaming, um, the, the aggressive way that studios and, and, um, and television companies are pursuing streaming. Uh, and Star Trek is just a concept that is ripe for continuous production. And they're finally doing it. Wow. That's... I think I think that's so cool uh, to bring back some uh, awesome stories. You say Discovery is polarizing. Is, is how is Picard like? Has Picard been pretty consistent? Um, I mean, it's also polarizing in the sense that it seems like everybody that has taken issue with current Star Trek shows, which are led primarily by a producer and showrunner named Alex Kurtzman, who was actually a co-screenwriter on the 2009 film and its sequel in 2013. Um, people seem to be taking issue, at least the more vocal among certain sects of fandom, seem to be taking issue with the ideological stances of the shows. But anyone who knows Star Trek knows that it has always had uh, an outlook on humanity that says our best days are ahead of us, not behind us. Um, Gene Roddenberry was a secular humanist. That's a big part of what he decided to push forward in the shows that he led. And that continued largely under the leadership of the people that would follow him as stewards of the Star Trek franchise. So the, but it, I, I, I never feel like, except for maybe a couple of instances in the recent shows, I never feel like it's heavy handed. Uh, it leans on the ideas of hope and of an optimistic future. Like maybe we're not all going to end up killing ourselves. Maybe we are actually going to evolve and mature as a species and accomplish everything that we're supposed to accomplish. And, uh, and that's the message of Star Trek. So the way that that's been interpreted in the current shows has been kind of a subject of debate. And there are also a sect, a certain sects of fandom that just, I guess, were never really conscious of the messages of the other shows. So now they're coming into it as adults on the new shows, seeing what they're about and they're freaking out over it. Um, yeah. But it's always been there. So you could debate, you know, the quality of the stories themselves, which we have done on discovery debrief for both discovery and for Picard. Um, and we'll finish Picard soon. But the fact that CBS is now finally aggressively pursuing the creation of more Star Trek in probably a more consistent way than has been seen since DS9 and Voyager were on the air. Yeah. That's great for Star Trek fans. We have, we finally have more Star Trek to talk about. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, you know, to, to Chris's point and, and kind of to the thing that you were alluding to Mike, um, we, we also have more Star Trek to complain about certain fans have. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, we were we were just kind of talking about uh, that, that, uh, um, you know, before before the camera started rolling, your fandom and, and your appreciation for for Star Wars growing up uh, more mm -hmm. so than than Star Trek. And it's not an either or thing for those people that are that are paying attention. You can love both uh, peanut butter and jelly, guys. Um, there <laughs> there is. Um, there is a, a a moment where people have like when the credits roll on a thing that they're passionate about, uh, they start to believe they start to build. 
that's when uh the camera starts rolling in their head cannon and you know and so you build up your head cannon for what happens next and yeah. when you hear about a story idea in a in a fandom that you're very passionate about that's when the camera starts rolling for on your head cannon for whatever that new idea is and and ultimately if you're very passionate about it and you feel like your head cannon is the right is the right space and the right direction to go in you're going to be ultimately disappointed in the yeah. direction that someone else takes because it's their head cannon it's it's a, a collection of 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 people's head cannon on what is going to happen in that in that space for the next iteration for whatever that idea happens to be and star trek has been fortunate over the last 50 years almost 60 years to have uh fans that have been very passionate about its canon so when yeah. tng released in 86 there were there was a horde of people that said this is not my star trek yeah. Um, and then when DS9 Picard's, Picard's not my captain, you know that. Type right, of thing. exactly. When mm -hmm. when DS9 uh, debuted in '92, you had another group of people. Oh, was that '93? '93. '93. January of '93. January of '93. Right. Yeah. Um, so when when DS9 debuted in '93, there was another legion of people. This now gathered, you know, the group of people that this is not my trek from 86 gathered with the people from TNG to say that this is not my trek for <laughs> DS9. Um, you know, and then and then subsequent to DS9, Voyager got a little bit of, of jazz. Enterprise got a lot of heat. And then, you know, and it was like, oh, it's not like before. And all of those things were lumped in together as this is my trek. The new trek is never my trek. And and as soon as Discovery released, Enterprise became part of my trek. Yeah, and Enterprise Discovery. is the one that we love now. Right, oh exactly. God. Exactly. And, and <laughs> Discovery became not my trek. Um <laughs> Picard is Picard has gotten less of the not my trek because the characters are my trek. They're my trek characters. Yeah. But the situation had, yeah, the situations have, have started to get some of that, you know, as, especially with, with Picard. Um, because I, th I think people spent the better part of the last 35 years thinking about um, where Picard is, where he's going, um, what is happening with that cast and that, you know, with that crew, uh, especially since, I guess, like Nemesis. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, where where we're going to be when we see them next and where we wound up seeing them in Picard was worlds away from what people thought that they were going to see. And well, yeah. and, and just to, to kind of put a, a finer point on your right. point, sister, right. I mean, you yes. look at the, the years in which each Trek show came out, you know, 66, when the original series starts, it's the era of the fanzine, right? right? Sure. And that doesn't really change up through arguably Voyager, which right. premiered in 95, right? Right. Enterprise is the first Star Trek show that premieres in the age of the internet. So we're way more aware of the criticism that permeated yeah. that show. And mm -hmm. then by 2017, when Discovery kicks in, Twitter's around. 
Right. right? Oh, yeah. So then that just <laughs> amplifies things even further. Everybody has a platform to right. um, to communicate the ideas that yep. are in their head about what constitutes truthful Star Trek. And yeah, and Cicero is absolutely right. Enterprise has now been grandfathered into truthful Star Trek in a way that Discovery is not. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, these shows are not cheap to produce. If you watch any episode of Discovery or any episode of Picard, they are on par with any big budget movie that you see. And there's only more shows that are coming. You know, they mm-hmm. just announced a new show taking place on the original Enterprise starring Anson Mount as Captain Christopher Pike. If it's on the level of discovery in terms of production values, it's going to be an immensely expensive show to produce. The only reason yeah. that uh, Netflix kicked in money to produce Discovery, because overseas, Net, um, Discovery is a Netflix exclusive since CBS All Access isn't overseas. Yeah. Clearly, on the side of the business that is actually choosing to make these shows, they are delivering. Right. And that that seems to uh, communicate, at least to me, that yeah. Star Trek is very popular in its current form. And just to put another finer point on Cicero, you can like both. This there is my Skywalker <laughs> saber, and it's right on the same shelf there you with go. my communicator. Uh, I can assure that, you, man, that is my you're, captain. You're right such there. a you're such a nerd. Such a nerd. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's amazing that Star Trek kind of has this formula of TV, and then you see Star Wars kind of going towards that formula, and for the better. I mean, The Mandalorian, in my opinion, right. was thoroughly amazing, um, yeah. and then you, and then you see them doubling down on not only The Mandalorian but other series. I think it's I think it's absolutely pivotal for Star Wars to maybe take a note from Trek and just like continue this continue this path in tv i think it's i think it may be for the better so well and the, sounds I mean, like shared, sounds like discovery and picard is fun so i think so i mean the shared yeah. universe as a concept is so popular and mm-hmm. you know people wondering where their characters from one show are going to pop up in another we're going to talk about two episodes where that was happening 25 years ago right you yeah. know the, right. the the shared universe and seeing these other characters pop mm-hmm. up in other places also, while movies are coming out that are referential to the things that are running on yep. TV, Star Trek was really the first major, uh, super popular shared universe that hit multiple mediums. So yep. to see, uh, you know, the MCU is obviously very popular now. And Star Wars, like you said, is starting to sort of replicate that element of, um, of exploitation in terms of television and film that's conceivably going to be on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Star Trek was doing that in the 90s, in the early 90s, right. and never really stopped. And, uh, and very, it's one and of very well. Why... Very well, yeah. might I might add. Doing, yeah. Doing yeah. it good. So, well, let me uh, let me get through some house, or housekeeping, and then we will continue with the show. Uh, listeners, we are over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the 90s first podcast, where we just switched everything to every single tier getting all of our content so you can be at the two dollar level you could even do two dollars and fifty cents it doesn't matter you will get every single piece of content and that includes our 90s at the movies uh, podcast where we have one episode on the sandlot as of right now uh, uploaded to the patreon but uh, me and joe uh, me and jelly will be recording uh, one on independence day which uh, by the way don't 
please don't throw any eggs at me. It was my first time ever watching it. So, geez. Uh, <laughs> um, so that we will be recording this week to release this Friday, as well as you'll get um, weekly blog posts by me, just updates on the show and everything uh, in between. So go ahead and uh, check out our Patreon. Uh, any level gets you all the content, as well as we are on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, we're at the 90s first. On Instagram, we're at the 90s first underscore podcast. Please help us continue the conversation this week, uh, especially on uh, this new episode on uh, Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. So without further ado, let's get into the content. Let's We are doing a special episode. This is why I have you guys on here, because we had a community member ask us to compare... Uh, the Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine. However, uh, we switched it a little bit because The Next Generation is obviously an 80s show, technically, uh, when when it started. So we decided to do Deep Space Nine and The Voyager, um, which, you know, I'm very happy to do um, because I think they're... I think first and foremost there's a very good contrast between these two shows that you know i think we'll we'll talk about here but let's let's get into a segment we like to call nostalgia lane guys i didn't grow up watching these two shows so you know if you guys have any awesome memories just like any any memories whatsoever you know maybe hanging out with your brothers sisters i don't know if you have siblings maybe your uh, parents at all just watching this what what types of good memories good vibes do you have uh, surrounding both uh, deep space nine and the voyager i'll, I'll defer to chris first <laughs> oh, oh all right, all right. <laughs> sure um yeah. i mean i've got nothing but good memories when it comes to thinking back on star trek um I mean, the 90s was such a heyday for the franchise, and I was born the same year that Next Generation premiered. I was born in 87, so I was pretty young when the, the shows were first on the air. My end to Star Trek was really through my dad and through my brother. Uh, my older brother is a huge Next Gen fan. He would watch it all the time on Bakersfield, KPUZZ. And, uh, you know, as, as the new shows were coming out, cause we grew up in Southern California. And, um, so when it started to become clear that another show was coming out, um, DS nine premiering in January of 93, I was pretty young, but I do remember, uh, my brother being very excited for that show coming out. Um, and he ravenously consumed it, but then he, became a teenager and just kind of fell off. And when he fell off, I kind of did too. Um, but I was more focused on, um, I guess, TOS. TOS is probably my favorite Star Trek show, uh, but it's not the best one. Uh, I wouldn't actually absorb DS9 in its entirety until I was in college. And after I watched the entirety of that show, that's when I realized this is the best Star Trek show. Um, but when really? I was a kid, too, a couple of years later, you know, Voyager is going to be leading on UPN. UPN was the Paramount Network at the time, basically. So Voyager was going to be a show that would help kick it into gear. And uh, and I remember being excited about it, even though I was only about six years old. The, the idea of, like, being back on a starship was, was really cool. And the fact that um, the, the series was going to have the first female captain ever. Uh, turned a lot of heads at the time. I think um, Kate Mulgrew was even on the cover of TV Guide, like right before the the um, the series premiered. So it was a big deal. Not not the least of which because it was leading a network. Um, 
So, but, but, you know, looking at both of these episodes is a big practice in contrast, which I know that we'll get into later, but um, the, the intent of both of the episodes are very different too. And I think one of the reasons as a kid, I had a hard time getting into DS9 was because its subject matter was inherently darker. And I think that is gleaned in the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So um for me i'm i'm older than both of you guys i was born in the 70s so um uh, so you know i I remember the (laughs) 80s quite well and but but for me ds9 you know definitely struck a nerve because we were going to have our very first uh black american lead in star trek uh, yeah, and and so with with and we'll uh, we'll get into this, but he's yeah. uh, Avery Brooks is amazing uh, <laughs> as the captain. Yeah, I, yeah. Amazing. so and, and you know, uh, America first probably or became familiar with him um, with a show called Spencer for Hire, uh, and then he that that was so successful, or his his portrayal on that show was so successful that he had a spinoff show called A Man Called Hawk uh, for his his uh his his character uh and then getting to see him go into sci-fi and and the most optimistic sci-fi uh, in star trek was was something that i was very excited about um however it it hit at the exact same time that i was getting ready to go off to college um so mm-hmm. when ds9 premiered i remember watching the premiere um but but not much of the series itself, you know, catching, jumping in and out. Um, and then, you know, uh, obviously being, being a college freshman uh, and, and ensuing college career, you can't, you can't make appointment television anymore. Um, so mm-hmm. I wound up missing it in its initial run uh, and wound up catching it really in its entirety. Just this year I finished actually um, really? the series yeah um and and as chris said uh ds9 like i you know i understood fundamentally what ds9 was about but being able to to binge it and watch it in its entirety it's it's objectively the best uh you know objectively talking about something that's subjective objectively saying that ds9 <laughs> is, is the best star trek um you know so not not only was it great because it was such a such a definitive departure from all of the shows that preceded it and proceeded it in, in oh, most yeah. ways mm-hmm. um, in, in the fact that it was, it was serial in nature. If we, if we look at the way TV is done, um, episodic TV is done, you've got serials, uh, you know, you think of like a daytime soap or think of game of Thrones or something to that effect um, yeah. versus procedural. Think of the 18, or Knight Rider, or any of your favorite, you know, shows, or any of the other Star Treks, where you've got your cast of characters, their subplots will advance their character development in in very particular ways. But at the end of the episode, you kind of you hit the reset button and you start, you know, you start anew on yeah. on the next, in, you know, in the next episode. And and DS Nine was very very different from that, and and the premiere definitely shows you that it is the focus is on characters mm-hmm. as opposed to you know the characters in the location as opposed to exploration um and and that is that is something that was very jarring for star trek fans it seemed kind of uh hypocritical 
to to uh, or hypocritical or, or uh, just just uh, uh, what heretical, I guess, is the, the right <laughs> word for 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 a, a Star Trek fan to not be going anywhere um, mm-hmm. when they're watching Star Trek. But uh, it was it that show was great. Um, but and then DS Nine, same thing. I actually watched on Netflix. I watched all of the series in reverse. So I started with Enterprise. And then I went to Voyager. Then I went to DS9. Now I'm on TNG, uh, and I'll probably hit the animated series again, and then I'll go back to D- TOS again. Um, but but the thing with Voyager was it kind of ri- it it was start it was the attempt to right some of the wrongs that were brought by DS9, brought along by DS9. They knew that Paramount knew they had a great show with DS9, but they wanted to give Star Trek fans that Star Trek fix of ship out in space doing things again and again. And you really got to see a sense of where those things were going to happen in those, in those premiere episodes from these two different series. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll get into it further, uh, with that, but yeah, I think there's stark differences between uh, DS9 and Voyager. Um, for me, I, I grew up just watching the original show uh, with my dad, uh, and uh, kind of kind of what you were talking about, Cicero, is that like the original show, it had those moments of like not feeling like it was a true series. Like you would you would watch through an episode and it it almost it almost have like a slight amount of character development. I mean, how much character development do you get in Spock anyway? <laughs> but but, uh, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, you know what? I might need I might need to watch Discovery because isn't he in isn't he in Discovery? What I'll say what I'll say that that Chris would say is. Um, or what Chris would be too modest to say is, I would say listen to Discovery Debrief, and you get a <laughs> sense, you get a sense of just how much, uh, how much character development you can get from someone, or emotional depth you can get from someone who mm. um, doesn't is is not supposed to display their emotions. I won't even yeah. say that. Don't have emotions. Well, and and I was watching. Uh, I started watching uh, the Next Generation again today, and I was on the third episode with the contaminant and uh, Data. Even shows some like emotions, Absolutely. and it's like, um, okay, like, you know, um, and he's not supposed to, um, but but yeah, I I grew up watching Captain Kirk, Spock, Doc, you know, all those guys just, um, in you know, just going on some crazy adventures. Um, and I remember those sci-fi adventures. I remember them being fantastic storytelling. Um, and I was going to get into this a little bit, but I'll, I'll get into it now. I really, I grew up also watching the twilight zone and a lot of similarities between at least the original series and twilight zone in, in story and, uh, in the way that, you know, it captures some of its science fiction and the way the storytelling is, is portrayed. Like, I love the comparison, um, right. kind of between those two. And that, I think that's why I was drawn to Star Trek because, you know, I'm a horror film guy and loving the Twilight Zone. Right. Star Trek kind of had some of those, those horror film, um, episodes at least here right. and there, well, uh, well, which is like, really cool. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's all about the allegory, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so, so you know, Twilight Zone was was just it. I mean, it was Rod Serling making fables, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 a lot of what uh, a, a lot of what we got in in Star Trek 
especially in TOS, um, was was mirrored in comics in the X-Men with, you know, creating these allegories for mm -hmm. American life right now and and looking and creating these stories that we couldn't, you know, I couldn't come out and tell you that it's it's not okay to hate someone just because they're a Soviet. But I can put a Soviet on the bridge of this space, you know, of this spaceship set in the future, and they can and we can all coexist. I can't yeah. tell you that, you know, I can't have a story where I tell you that it's okay for uh, a black man and a white woman or a white man and a black woman to be together. But I can show you an episode where Captain Kirk kisses Uhura. Yeah. And, and, you know, and like, and those things, they become okay because like Rod Serling understood and Gene Roddenberry understood that your entertainment is, is one of the ways that you can reach the public in meaningful ways. And they use yeah. that platform to help advance society as a whole. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's what I think what makes, you know, the original series so special um, in many, many ways. Uh, you just get fantastic stories. Um, and then, you know, that personally led to watching the movies. Uh, you know, I remember uh, I think it was like 2014, maybe maybe a little bit earlier. I bought all the movies in one Blu-ray set and watching some of those updated graphics was just it was just amazing to me um, and just reliving some of those memories, watching some of those movies um, with my dad. You know, uh, first time I watched Wrath of Khan was with my dad. Um, yes. And, you know, that movie's a classic. It's uh, yes. regarded as one of the best. And you guys could probably argue me on that, but <laughs> it's, it's so good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, those are the memories that I had. Anything else you guys have with Nostalgia Lane? Any other cool uh, memories? Um. I just so I what I'll what I'll say is you know it's not to be not to be understated and I'm sure that uh, um, Rachel Rachel who's a little bit younger may may have very definitive feelings about uh, about Janeway in this way but I, I so I grew up in in a, in a, a small town right outside of New York City um, most of the people that lived in my town were black um, I went to a black high school and. Even you know, like nerds are nerds are nerds, and and those dynamics in high school exist, you know, despite the cultural differences and what have you. Um, but it, there was even amongst the 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 cooler kids and and the nerd set who didn't necessarily pay attention to Star Trek, weren't big Star Trek fans, but were you know were fans of television. Um, were very excited at the fact that Avery Brooks was was going to be on TV and we were going to see black people in the future because the Jetsons, a famous, you know, famous television show, <laughs> wow. yeah. had no black people. There were no black people mm. in the future, right? The the Flintstones yeah. had no black people on there, and you know, except for uh, except for uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Rock or whatever his name was, <laughs> like he was the only one. So there were no black people in the past. So to actually get to see a black person in the future and he's in command was it yeah, did a lot. it did a lot. And, yeah, and oh, so I... like, you know, I mean, it was always a it was always a sense of pride from from that perspective, but also 
being able to to watch his journey over the course of that series um mm-hmm. it, you know pride doesn't really even uh properly properly encapsulate the feeling that you have about that character yeah. and that portrayal i think that's that's such a wonderful perspective um and thank you for sharing um because no you know you just you just don't think about those um when you're white <laughs> you know i'll right, just be, right. I'll well, just be yeah, honest so yeah. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that it really means a yeah, lot no chris i yeah. cut you off <laughs> no 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 i mean i i since this show started in in 93 and i was pretty young i certainly didn't understand the profundity of that especially being a white kid right. in southern california in a town that was probably 90 percent white right. not even yeah. exaggerating um but I will say, in, in a totally innocuous note, um, being a kid in the 90s and being a Star Trek fan was the last good time to get good Star Trek toys. And I took full advantage of that. <laughs> oh, there you kid. go. See, I, I, I was born in 92, so I'm younger than both of you. Um, and I, <laughs> our first episode of the 90s first was on uh, the Batman animated series. That's what I grew up collecting those action mm. figures. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you, you're uh, you're speaking my language too. I mean, in terms <laughs> of my all-time favorite characters in fiction, it's probably Bruce Wayne and Spock. Uh, really? And, <laughs> and I, I mean, I could tell you more about the development that Spock did go through in the original series, but I'll say right. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right you could you could school me on another podcast maybe you'll maybe when i binge picard you'll have me on there and just there you just, go yeah <laughs> uh well let's go ahead and move on to uh the topic of the show uh we deep dive uh we call we call this the all that chat do you guys remember the all that do you guys yeah. remember all that yeah. <laughs> yep. so we call this the all that chat all right guys so um we are going to be comparing the two, but first I wanted to kind of deep dive into them separately, if you guys don't mind. Um, and obviously let's start with the first show that came out, which was Deep Space Nine. And uh, just really quickly, I do have the IMDb uh, pulled up here. Um, here we go. Uh, in the vicinity of the liberated planet of Bajor, the Federation space station Deep Space Nine guards the opening of a stable wormhole for to the far side of the galaxy. It does star Avery Brooks as uh, Captain Benjamin Sisko, um, Rene Aubergeonis, Aubergeonis. Okay, I knew Chris would correct me. <laughs> uh, as Odo, we got Cyric Lawson as Jake Sisko, which is um, the son. Uh, you got Alexander Siddig as Dr. Bashir, uh, Cole Meany as Chief Miles O'Brien, Major Kira is uh, by uh, Nina Visitor, and uh, I. I uh, loved her character, by the way, in this in this first episode. So, and we got some others as well. Uh, you got uh, Armin Shimmerman as Cork. Um, so, guys, first, let's just get your overall thoughts. We're talking just the first episode as a whole. Right. Chris, what what do you got on the first episode of Deep Space Nine? Like, what? Oh, I, I, I mean, Star Trek pilots are really interesting when looking at them in isolation from the rest of the shows because they really do have a lot of power in establishing the tone and they're all very different you know you could compare the cage to encounter at farpoint totally different shows by that same token encounter at farpoint to this show emissary totally different shows and 
one of the brilliant strokes to me um, for really sort of reaching and trying to grab at the heart of the audience. Conceivably an audience made up significantly of fans of the next generation, you go back to one of the most defining moments of the entire run of, of the next generation, a show that wasn't even finished yet, and it was still a defining moment in, in, in TNG's run, and that is the assimilation of Captain Picard to become Locutus of Borg. And he is forced to use his knowledge and experience as a, a Starfleet commander for decades against his own people in a massive attack that results in the deaths of countless thousands, 39 starships of 40 destroyed in a, in a defensive against a, a single board cube. And learning that this Starfleet officer, uh, Lieutenant Commander Benjamin Sisko, was on one of those ships and is um, a direct victim of the Borg and Locutus's onslaught specifically. It's a really uh, excellent way to get people's attention because all of a sudden the lead of your new show has antagonistic, justifiably antagonistic feelings to the lead of the show that you already watch that you probably like a lot. And, mm -hmm. um, and so by positioning the initial conflict of this first episode as between now Commander Benjamin Sisko and Captain Picard in that very first and tense exchange between those two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sets the tone for a show that aims to be... Uh, I mean, darker is probably a word that's overused when it comes to DS9, but there is no mistake that the aim of a lot of the storytelling in DS9 is darker when compared to the next generation. TNG is kind of the pinnacle of optimistic star trek it's exploratory it's fun it even gets a little bit campy in places um and one really key example that subverted those expectations was the two-parter where captain picard gets assimilated so by using that and applying it to the show that makes a statement about what this new series is going to be is kind of a stroke of genius as far as i'm concerned and that's before you even get into all of the 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 really interesting and dynamic character choices that they made for the, the the key cast. Not only do you bring over someone from Next Generation to sort of fill the engineer role in Chief O'Brien, but you also have someone who, for all intents and purposes, was a terrorist who has now uh, taken up the, the uniform and the authority of a provisional government that's trying to rebuild after 50 years of oppression and subjugation at the hands of the Cardassians. And I'm talking, of course, about Major Kira. And she brings a dynamic all her own that is in unique conflict with the authority that Sisko brings to the table. But Sisko also has, even though he has a lot of boiling rage when you first see him talking to Captain Picard. He also has this sort of tempered understanding for what Kira just went through. And then you have the the sort of whimsical campiness of uh, the capitalist run amok in Quark. And then you're also introduced to Odo, and you're not really sure what to make of him. He just is really gruff. Um, and of course, you know, there's very little foreshadowing to the entire journey that he goes across in, in the entire series. But the population of characters in DS9 that you get to connect with in the very first episode 
it's a far more even like ideologically diverse cast of characters than you got from the other shows and it just creates a scenario that is undeniably interesting for this first step and you you feel for most of those characters right you can you kind of connect with them um in the first episode on a deep level like you said kira right she she's going through all this stuff before this episode even happens um and then you see that rage that she has kind of towards the kardashians and all that and you kind of connect with her you feel her you feel her pain that her home has been somewhat oppressed um for for many many years uh, so and and yeah. she, 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 oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, just, no, just no, real fast. She feels a chance. Is like she feels weirdly more optimistic about the potential for freedom that is represented by this. But she's also wary of the authority of the Federation and coming in and taking yeah. over mm-hmm. this rickety old Cardassian exactly. space station. And all of that is sort of framed in another device that I think is really, really pivotal in this first episode. And that's the fact that Cisco is a single father. You know, he's. Mm-hmm. That his son is going with him on this journey, potentially a dangerous one, but um, you know their entire family was upended several years ago, and now he's trying to make the most of it to the point where he gets this crappy assignment for all intents and purposes, and doesn't want to put his son through it. And it's only after this first episode, of course, that he comes to a different conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, it, it the the brilliance of DS9 is that it it creates a roadmap for the remainder of its of its run in the in that first two-parter for for its characters, not even the situation, you know, and not even setting up, you know, we're going to talk about uh Voyager and Voyager basically set up its roadmap of being quantum leap in space in its first episode but but what we what we have for for DS9 is a very it's very much a character driven story where they set up so much of what is going to happen over the next 7 seasons uh mm-hmm. right at establishes it right away Odo talking about hey I need to go into that wormhole and figure out what's going on over there because I don't know who I am. I've been forced to live amongst you and pretend to be who who I am. Uh, talking about Major Kira and and her um, very complex and complicated, you know, relationship with with ousting one set of occupiers and welcoming in a new set of occupiers, um, begrudgingly, and 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 having you know and feeling like okay well these guys are benevolent so i'm okay with that but i'm not okay with that because i just want us to be free uh and and being able to to empathize with with that character we get introduced to a whole new species in in jadzia dax with 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 the with you know with her character and and understanding that her relationship with with uh cisco from you know previous because she's a she's a trill and she's got uh, a worm you know a symbiote inside of her and that symbiote contains the memories of all of its past uh all of its past hosts and that's mm-hmm. something that gets established right away and you understand that there's there's so much there with that the the person 
who gets the least amount of character development is probably O'Brien. But even in that in that first two-parter, you probably seen O'Brien do more significant things in that in these two episodes than you had seen in the previous five seasons, collectively almost in from from uh, from TNG. So um, and it, you know so like it was it was a breath of fresh air for that character, and you got to see so many of these other characters, and you know, not uh, not the least of which is Goldacott, who who has who plays a role in the very first episode, and his his bearing on on the entire series, but most importantly, Ben Sisko being being named the emissary. That he, you know, for which the ti- you know, the title of the episodes are, uh, that he is, he means something like this. All didn't happen. This didn't just happen by chance. That that maybe it was predestined that Benjamin Cisco wind up in this really crappy, taking this really crappy post because he's meant to be there. And over yeah. the course of the series, you discover why that is important. Um, and all of those things and how they intertwine is is part of the brilliance of the show. Yeah, yeah, and and just to to add a, a little bit to what Cicero said when it comes to Ducat, um, be, it, it's kind of a crime, at least you know, as a Star Trek nerd like me would naturally think, uh, that DS Nine is not nearly as ubiquitous in the culture as other shows in the franchise are. Because everybody, rightfully so, but everybody brings up Khan as an example of, you know, the ultimate Star Trek villain. Watch DS9, you realize pretty quickly that Dukat is the guy. Like, Dukat and Khan are clearly the two core key Star Trek villains, but Khan only appeared in total in the entirety of the franchise three times, one of which was a reimagining in 2013. Yeah. Ducat, by total contrast, appears in all seven seasons of, of DS9. He is given the time to develop as a truly fascinating and even far more despicable antagonist over the course of that, in, that entire series. And the way that he's performed and the way that he's used across the show is... I, I can't even describe adequately how perfect a villain Gold Ducat is. He is a terrific foil for Cisco and for the rest of the crew. And Kira probably has even more heated confrontations with Ducat over the course of the series than even Cisco does. But the fact that he means so many different things to our different members of the cast, it really emphasizes just how brilliant a villain Ducat really is. And this is in light of all of the other foes that the crew is going to face over the course of the series. Even in light of the massive threat that the Dominion comes to represent in DS9, it always comes back to Dukat. And even Dukat's like part of the Dominion, but he eventually becomes a villain unto himself, separate from every other active facet of DS9. And it's also just like from a cosmological perspective, DS9 provides arguably the greatest look at what it's like to exist in the Star Trek universe. Being on a starship out in the fringes of the the final frontier is one thing, but actually seeing what this show uh, does in terms of world building is invaluable to the rest of the universe. 
and even though Star Trek at large is an optimistic franchise, DS9 really, outside of maybe some current examples, is the only series in the franchise that challenges what it means to be optimistic. Because it's easy to be a saint in paradise, which is, I think, something they even said on the show. But um, when that is challenged, you have to justify why those are ideals in the first place, and DS9 does that. And that, that's what makes this show, at least, again, I've never watched the series, but the first episode I could tell alone that it's going to be special because you you have that difference from the Star Treks that have preceded it. It's not It's not a ship going where none have gone before, you know, boldly exploring space, basically. Um, and it's... It's a place where, and you could tell this in the first episode, is a place where you're going to start to really care for these characters. You're going to start seeing their character development, and you're going you're gonna to truly enjoy watching this. And, and I agree with you guys. Um, I want more of Dukat. Like, this, this was literally only the first episode. I'm thankful uh, that you guys have informed me that he's in all seven seasons. So I'm pretty excited. He was just a, he's a good villain overall in, even in this, in this first episode alone. Um, let's, there, there's really no Star Trek talk. Probably, probably, maybe no, maybe no Star Trek podcast without chatting about the captain. So, uh, what do you think about Ben Sisko? Is is he one of the better captains in all of the series? Like who? I mean, not who. Sorry, but like, do you like him as a as a as a character in this uh, particular uh, show? Do you think? Do you think that his story in this first episode was impactful to you? What do you think about the captain? Well, uh, so I'll, I'll just say that um, I was incredibly disappointed with Avery Brooks's performance, um, the writing that that was handled yeah. uh, for for Benjamin Sisko. Um, you know, it was completely unrealistic. And I, I you know, didn't didn't uh, empathize with them at all. Obviously, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so so Commander Sisko, he, he uh, spoiler alert, he has to wait a little while before he gets that fourth pip. Um, and and becomes a captain, but he does become a captain, and that's that's a wrong. Excuse that's me, one of, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that is that is one of a couple of of wrongs that the show committed that they righted through the course of their their series uh, with regards to Avery Brooks's Avery Brooks as an actor and Benjamin Sisko as a character. Um, but but in and I guess in retrospect, you can find you can you can find some uh, some uh, benefit from the maturation and the evolution of the character uh, as a result of that. Um, but uh, I mean, obviously, uh, right off the bat, the fact that that this captain or this commander looks like me um, meant something to me. Uh, and then to see his relationship with his son, um, which, again, is something that plays throughout the course of this series and, and plays better in this series uh, than it does anywhere else in Trek, that that relationship. Um, but but, you know, not only does did that resonate with me, but but there was a level of tenderness there um, that humanized my experiences 
to the rest of the world mm-hmm. um, that that meant a lot to me. Uh, and and it meant something to me then. It means 100 percent more to me now. It means, you know, infinitely more to me now uh, as an adult, as, as someone being able to to um, view it again with the wisdom of my the wisdom and the pain of my own experiences in life. Um, and, you know, like as as you're sitting around, as you were describing, Mike, um, how uh, eager you were to to look forward to, to going forward and, and checking out the rest of the series. It made me think of Star Wars um, as a kid. When I grew up, um, you know, I saw all the I saw I saw Empire and, and Jedi in the theater. Well, I actually saw all three of the original trilogy in the theater. I didn't see uh, uh, A New Hope in 77, but it, you know, it got a long run in the th- in the theater as uh, successful movies were wont to do back back in those days. Uh, so I did get to see A New Hope in the theater and saw Empire and Jedi in the theater. And I love those movies because they were great. And it was action and it was sci-fi. It was all the things that I love. Um, but my favorite movie was Jedi um, because it had... Not only did it have a Death Star run in it, but it also had Ewoks, which were awesome, and you know, and and Luke had a green <laughs> lightsaber. Then my second favorite film was A New Hope because it had a you know it had lightsaber battles and all this other stuff, and it, and it also had a, the Death Star run, and those were the things that were exciting. And Empire was was fine, but it wasn't my favorite at that time. And then, of course, as I grew older and I've gained more experiences and I, you know, I had the 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 uh, the understanding of patience and nuance and, you know, and being able to to grasp those things as an adult. Of course, the right answer is that Empire is the better of those three films um, mm-hmm. because it adds those human elements. It 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 doesn't try and distract you from the story with all of these action set pieces. It just focuses on the story and helping you build those, build an understanding and and uh, a level of familiarity with the with those characters, and and allowing you to connect with those characters in a way, um, and and dealing with some of the tragedy because that's something that we can all we can all resonate with and empathize with. Um, DS Nine does the same thing. DS Nine, mm-hmm. and that's you know I think it's great that you're able to sit and watch it now as an adult. Um, versus watching it when you were younger, when you had an idea of what Star Trek was. Star Trek was on the ship, and you're exploring, you do the thing, you see the crazy alien, right? Now you're able to actually be able to appreciate a version of Star Trek where it's set in the future, but it's about, it's a human drama set in the future with humans and aliens and wormholes and, you know, and, uh, you know, ethereal, religious, you know, uh, uh, iconography. Um, so but like you can appreciate all that stuff now. Mm-hmm. And it and DS9 delivers all of that stuff in spades. Yeah, um, I, I mean, obviously, I totally agree with everything that Cicero said um, when it comes to taking kind of a holistic look at the entirety of the franchise Obviously, it's the captain that sets the tone for what the show is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. And each show takes a very different kind of approach to who is going to be serving in a leadership position. So, you know, Captain Kirk 
kind of a lovable rogue, but he still ultimately believes in the authority that uh, he represents as a, as a Starfleet commander. But um, he is he has more willingness to break the rules where necessary if he thinks more good can be accomplished that way. Captain Picard is almost defined more by his restraint than his action, because he's the uh, he's the head of the Federation flagship. A ship that's obviously extraordinarily physically powerful, but that is also supposed to sort of represent uh, the freedom and peace that the Federation is supposed to be, and it tries to project that image to the rest of the galaxy. That's why the Enterprise is, is um, you know, on the front lines and exploring as much as possible. For it's a, it's an exploratory vessel first, and but if it needs to show its teeth, it can and usually does. Uh, but Picard is very much a diplomat. He is the one who mm -hmm. is fashioned to be the uh, the, the go-to guy if you need someone to make first contact with a new alien species or try and facilitate negotiation between two belligerent powers. He's the guy that serves that role extremely effectively. And uh, one of the fascinating things of TNG is that you find out over the course of the show that he didn't start that way. That's something that he developed into. Uh then when you come to Cisco, you know, right out of the gate in this first episode, he is a guy who seems to be defined by an anger and resentment that comes from a very understandable place. What his, his career it seems to have taken from him by this point far more than it has given him. Um, and then it's, it's only over the course of this episode when he understands that he has a unique sense of insight into the 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 environment that ds9 operates in and the increased strategic significance that the station uh takes on once the wormhole is discovered uh he thinks that he can make a difference and when he's given the opportunity to make that difference mm -hmm. he jumps at the opportunity to do so uh later on the series kind of takes a little bit of a different tact with him in the sense that as a Starfleet captain, later, he still tries to exemplify the ideals of the Federation, but he is also the, I think anyway, at least in terms of my understanding, the only captain who thinks that challenging those ideals is the best possible way to reinforce them when they're confronted with an existential threat, which is what the Dominion War will come to represent for the Federation at the end of the series. Uh, so... When I think of Cisco in comparison with the other captains, the first thing that I think of, um, it's not ex restricted to the first episode, but in the series as a whole, he's the toughest of everybody. And that's by necessity. He's the only wartime captain in the entirety of the Star Trek franchise. Uh, so you need him to have that sort of intense strategic understanding of what the Federation's supposed to bring to the table in wartime. Um, but also, too, he's not so tough that when confronted with brutality, he doesn't try to address it and fix it. And he also still wants to project the kind of optimism and leadership that he thinks his son will need. Uh, so Cisco really is so multi-dimensional 
especially in comparison to the captains that we had had before. And I love Captain Kirk. I love Captain Picard. But they weren't forced to confront nearly as many different kinds of problems as Captain Sisko had to confront. So you see, very much like a real person, several different sides of Sisko at different times because he has to react to different stimuli and apply the best possible solution for the situation that's in front of him. And sometimes that doesn't work out very well. And sometimes he has to compromise a little bit too much in order to be able to see tomorrow. Um, but at the end of the day, the total result of that is probably the single most fascinating captain in the entirety of the franchise. Man. <laughs> you guys just want to take over? We spend we spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, which is which is why which is why I asked you guys to come on board. Um, once again, just delighted uh, that you guys are here because your expertise is some I can never achieve, especially in Star Trek. You know, talk about sports. Right. You know, I could do you, that. You but. you'd be surprised. You'd be, you'd be su- surprised if you exactly. if you stick with it. You'll you will develop these thoughts. I promise you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do plan on sticking with it. Um, let's move on uh, to the other 90s show really quick to talk about its scope uh, as well as just the first episode, its captain as well. Um, again, this is Star Trek Voyager. So uh, really quickly, let me read the bumper for that here. Um, it says, pulled to the far side of the galaxy where the Federation is 75 years away at maximum warp speed. A Starfleet ship must cooperate with Maki's rebels to find a way home. Uh, so you had Deep Space Nine, which is basically this sandbox. You know, C- Cicero said this like soap opera found in just one spaceship set next to a wormhole. Just one you know, scene basically, um, one setting. Now we're moving back to a ship that is boldly going where no man has gone before. And in this case, we have a new captain, uh, first time a woman is a captain, which is uh, really cool as well. Um, but you, I guess maybe since you guys were around and I was four years old, maybe six (laughs) years old, um, what what was the what was the response to switching back to sort of the same formula that the original as well as next generation was going to uh it was a sense of we're bringing the franchise home that was it seemed like that was kind of the predominant idea that they wanted to push forward with it you know for for those people and admittedly I was among them who thought that deep space 9 was uh, too much of a departure from the trekking in Star Trek uh, by putting the, the crew on a ship again even if it wasn't the Enterprise you still had the exploratory element back but the enticing element of Voyager was that it was supposed to be taking that core concept and just pumping as many steroids into it as possible because not only are they exploring but they have no sense of backup no organizational structure behind them no star bases to restock their munitions or, or their supplies. Ha! That doesn't matter. 
Well, I mean, when you have replicators, right? right? I mean, that's that's one of the things that they even play with in the show. It's not like a starship has to load up gallons and gallons of water, right? It just right, makes right. it in the snap of a finger. But, I mean, that just conceptually, that was one of the things that Voyager uh, was trying to, quote-unquote, return to. Um mm-hmm how successful it was at doing that is up for debate and a lot of Star Trek fans have debated that quite a lot Uh, personally speaking Voyager is my least favorite of all of the Star Trek shows it is still Star Trek though so it's still going to be better than a lot of other shows just by the very nature of the franchise it's attached to and I do have a lot of affection for Voyager in general but um, it definitely got weird in places that's for sure (laughs) Uh, even even a little weird in this first episode. Um, uh, Cicero, what you got? Well, yeah, so, I mean, I think uh, one of the things that Chris alluded to earlier on was was uh, how, how uh, much crossovers and the expanded universe and extended universe play, uh, or Star Trek plays with those, with, with those tools and, and almost kind of created those tools or at least created a blueprint that the Marvels and and you know and the current Star Treks and and you know lots of different television shows the Arrowverse uh, have have played with in in very very real ways mm-hmm. as a result of possibly as a result of seeing how successful Star Trek was with um, both uh, establishing establishing uh, a a setup for a for you know the premise for a premiere. But also giving a a level of authenticity to the new show, like this is in this in the in very much in the same way that Captain Picard's presence on DS Nine was kind of like the blessing was was the the handing off of the baton to a new you know to a new show. DS Nine did the exact same thing with Voyager, where it launched. It literally launched from Deep Space, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, and and you know and and if yeah, you yeah, I saw the, I saw the episode. Nine, I was like, I know that shit. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So like, if you and and in fact, they used the DS Nine uh, score when when they when they were showing when they were showing mm-hmm. the station. Um, but like, if you were a fan of Deep Space Nine, you you were familiar with the Maquis. You were familiar with with the the trouble that the Maquis was causing for the Federation, the Cardassians, and the Bajorans in in uh you know in that space. So like there was a there was already a level of authenticity with what was going on there, mm-hmm. and then to see the the formation of this crew that you will wind up using throughout the rest of the rest of that series. Um, was was great to see, but but very much in a in a very different way than we got with DS Nine, where DS Nine was like, hey, we will bring everybody together, and we're going to spend a lot of our time dropping really subtle but concrete hints about the uh, the character makeups of our principal of our principal characters here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know we're going to explore that throughout the course of this series. We got very little of that, I think, in terms of or or maybe we got the same level of it, but the but the characters in, in Voyager may not be quite as deep 
um, the 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 journeys, the character journeys um, on that show aren't necessarily as pronounced. They're definitely not as pronounced as they are on DS9. But but you know, but that that is it's kind of a secondary or tertiary uh, aspect of that of that series, um, with the exception of the the EMH, the medical, the emergency medical uh, hologram. Uh, and then, of course, subsequent later later on in the series, um, what the series is known for is the appearance of of uh, of a reclaimed Borg by the, that goes by the name of Seven of Nine in this cat suit. Um, and, you know, and that was that was kind of one of the things that that show had been known known for. Um, but uh, like I wasn't necessarily being glib by calling it uh, Quantum Leap in Space. Um, because that's kind of what it is. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, this is an eight. That's an '80s show, so maybe you know. Um, but but you know, but the but the point is, like, I'm trying to get home. You know, accident happens. I can't get. You know, I'm pushed far away from home. Uh, I can't. I'm trying to get home. How do I get home? So maybe a, a more apt reference for the '90s would be sliders. Um, so, <laughs> but but like. You know, so every episode is going to be my quest to see how I can find my way back home, yeah. and they did a good job of establishing that. Um, I I love the Doctor from from uh, from Voyager. Uh, I I love uh, Captain Janeway. Um, yeah. You know, like there, like Chris said, there are. It is. It probably is my least favorite Star Trek show, but. There, you know, you're a sports fan, Mike. You've got your favorite teams, but there is a hierarchy even amongst your favorite teams, right? If all of your favorite teams were playing on TV at the same time, you would tune into one first, yep. right? And that's your favorite. And then, like, once you've made sure you checked out all the stuff on the other ones, at the at the the you know you'll check in on the last guys. You still love them, but they're you know they're 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 not at the top of the list. And Voyager just happens to be there. Everybody's got to have one, right? So Voyager happens to be that one. But there is lots of great amongst you know even my yeah. worst, my least favorite favorite team. In case you were wondering, that'd be the White Sox at the very bottom. Ah, of the ah. <laughs> <laughs> and they have they have earned that position, sir. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and you know maybe that maybe this is because of my ignorance uh, as you know with with DS Nine, but Voyager felt more like home for me, particularly sure. with Star Trek. You know, it was. Right. It was a ship, you know, a crew on that ship with right. a with an right. established captain, and you know, an established crew around her, and they go on this journey to find a, a ship where, uh, what's his name, uh, a Vulcan spy was on. Uh, his name was right. Tuvok. 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 There you go. Yeah. Um, Tim Tim Russ's uh, Tuvok, who was um, a spy on on another ship, and <clears throat> he gets lost. Voyager goes and voyages <laughs> and <laughs> finds them. Um, and uh, they get whisked away, uh, basically 
75,000 years, you know, 75 light years away uh, from from home. And as you're saying, and now it seems like these episodic adventures are going to be, how do we get home? How do we get home? Right. And right. I think that's probably the appeal of Deep Space Nine more is that they're not necessarily on a mission, but rather they could focus on... Um, you know, protecting their Deep Space Nine, you know, ship, their their home, basically. Um, and then you can have stories surrounding that and the character development surrounding that. Uh, but I, I almost liked the first episode of Voyager more just because it, I felt at home in, in the sure. Star Trek universe for myself. Um, I... You're not you're not alone, yeah. Mike, in that feeling. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that was there was there was definitely a sense of relief when when Voyager uh, when Voyager was announced and then when Voyager premiered because, mm-hmm. as Chris said, there was Trek in your Star Trek again. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at that point, uh, uh, TNG had already had already ended, and so we were we were watching. DS9 as Star Trek for a very short period of time between uh, TNG ending and and DS9. Oh no, no, I guess what? How many years was it, Chris? Six years? For three years? I'm sorry. For between what? between TNG ending and Voyager beginning. Oh, uh, one, eighty-seven and ninety-four, and Voyager premiered in ninety-five. In ninety-five, yeah. So there you go. So yeah, so it was a short period of time. Um. So yeah, so so there was trekking again in your Star Trek, and that makes sense. If you know, especially if your exposure to Star Trek has been TOS, some movies, an episode, uh, you know, a double episode of DS Nine, and a double episode of Voyager, one of those things is not like the other, and it's just <laughs> yeah. that you know, it's just the double episode of T- of, of DS Nine. So yeah. I mean that that makes sense definitely. Yeah, and don't don't get me wrong. I think I liked the characters of DS Nine mm-hmm. a little bit better than some that are portrayed in Voyager, um, but but yeah, the story felt felt right to me at least in the first episode mm-hmm. there. Yeah, Chris, are you chomping at the bit to say something here? <laughs> no, well, no. I mean, um, when I when I think back on Caretaker, um, I guess the thing that just kind of falls flat for me is that. In comparison with some of the other first episodes of Star Trek, it doesn't have as unique a sense of its own identity. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, the what takes place in Caretaker does a really good job of setting up uh, what the status quo is for Voyager and the entire series going forward. And it's also something that gets returned to several times over the course of the series where you have either a disgruntled crew member or some enemy that recharacterizes what happened to Voyager that sent them into the Delta Quadrant. And Janeway has to revisit the, uh, the choice that she made in stranding the crew there. So, uh, in that respect, I appreciate Caretaker and I think that it's a good show. And Captain Janeway is an awesome character. And she just becomes more awesome as time goes on. When you understand more about the totality of her journey and what ultimately led her into command. I mean, she started as a scientist. 
and uses her keen understanding of science as a way to inform the way that she does command the starship. And then she's also, of course, given just this impossible situation of having to manage and uh, and preserve a command structure that doesn't have uh, the weight of an organization behind it. That's a unique circumstance for a Starfleet captain to be in. Um, and there are also other episodes over the course of the series where she still observes that structure so closely that <laughs> she has to sort of even follow classified missions that are captain-specific, uh, thousands of light years away from any possible backup that she could have that could represent an existential threat to the galaxy as a whole. I mean, it's there are some really interesting elements of, of Voyager over the course of the entire seven seasons, and Janeway, in some respects, uh, I think she's better than the show she's on in a lot of ways. <laughs> wow, uh, <yeah>. So, <laughs> I mean, I love Captain Janeway. She is... Uh, easily the most fascinating character and i think that part of that again it goes back to that sense of unique identity it seemed like chakotay was trying like they were trying to sort of model him off of cisco but they ultimately didn't really take him anywhere very interesting and the biggest critic of chakotay and where they took him over the course of the show was the man who played him robert beltran is very open about uh what they did with his character and what they didn't do with his character and where they was the was he was the captain of that smaller ship right right exactly with the with the markings or the tattoo on yeah with it yeah yeah he he was the the maquis leader that Mm -hmm. yeah and and that's an interesting element too because as cicero said you know you become familiar with the maquis going back to ds9 and in next generation the maquis plays a pretty big part at the end of next generation and um having to unite two crews that have totally disparate missions mm-hmm. does create sort of a sense of tension between the crew members and it goes to some pretty interesting places that is true um sure. that first episode though i don't want revisit it as much as other star trek pilots just because uh in comparison with the other ones, it just seems a little bit by the numbers. But that's not taking away yeah. from the fact that it does what it intends to do very effectively, and it's something yeah. that's revisited multiple times over the course of the series. I think it's also interesting, and maybe you guys can sound off on this, but you know, they, they added another Vulcan, right? And mm-hmm. um, kind of the... I mean, obviously you're going to have initial comparisons to Spock... Um, and this is, this is the first Vulcan as a second in command, basically, right? Uh, again, uh, since Spock, right? Or is he not well, second so in he's, command? He's not, he's not second okay. in command. He is very, he is, he is part of Janeway's inner circle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he is, but his, he is not, he is not a number one. He is not a, a Spock analog necessarily. And, and. To be honest, throughout the the uh, the course of the series, I think there is there is less that you can use to compare Spock to Tuvok. Um, You know, like I don't even know if if it would be an apt comparison Mm -hmm. to compare Spock to Tuvok outside of their their race. Um, You know, the fact that they're the fact that they're both Vulcans. 
Um, and, and I think that they were aware of that uh, when they were creating the character, but I think, and, and I think they did a really good job of making Tuvok unique um, and making his character unique and uh, kind of subverting this expectation that he was going to be very Spock-like. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tuvok is a character that I really enjoy. Um, he doesn't have much on, on Spock. No, no, be- not at all. Because, I mean, one of the things that makes Spock such a fascinating character is that he is half human and half Vulcan. So right. he has uh, a side of his uh, lineage that embraces emotion constantly in conflict with the side of his lineage that suppresses it. Uh, that's the source of a, a, a great deal of, um, of advancement for the Spock character, not just in the original series, but in the movies and other appearances that we would see. Wait, wait, he has character development? Wait, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm just messing with you, Chris. I'm just messing I know, with you. I know, I know, I know. No, it's, it's all good. But, I mean, Tuvok has no such conflict right. uh, at the core of his being. Uh, but that being said, Tuvok does represent um, something that becomes very pivotal for the balance of the crew, and that is that reliance on uh, the equation aspect. And the, I mean, the, the thing that makes Tuvok even more fundamentally different from Spock is that Tuvok is a tactical officer. You know, he's not a scientist, he's yeah. someone who knows it, uh, by design far more about. I mean, he, he was a scientist in his early career, but as the tactical officer aboard Voyager, it's his business to know more about the firepower that the ship has in comparison with its ability to scan a gaseous anomaly, you know? So um, Tuvok brings a, a very tactical element that is, at least in his idea, in the best case, divorced from the emotional element. It's very different, let's say, than from... Worf is a tactical officer who is almost defined by his passion and what he brings to that. Um, mm-hmm. But Tuvok is also just an interesting character because he's very long-lived. There's a really interesting third season episode of Voyager that actually goes back to his earliest assignment in Starfleet, which was aboard the USS Excelsior under Captain Sulu. Uh, so we actually get to see Captain Sulu in action a little bit from um, from a different angle than we saw him in Star Trek VI. And you start to learn a little bit more about the sort of concessions that Tuvok uh, understandably gives up to, uh, to succeed in Starfleet. Uh, and the, the rest of the series, he's just reliable. He's always there. And there's a certain comfort level that Tuvok brings when you know that he's the one that will back up a member of the crew. Tuvok, even though he's not a warm and fuzzy character, he, there is something that is just very comforting about his reliable presence and what he brings to the table in that respect. And, uh, and that's why it, I find it really hard to dislike Tuvok. I don't know how someone could actively dislike Tuvok <laughs> just because, you know, the logic and the earnestness that he brings to the table on top of the fact that he's just a badass is... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> That's that's one of the coolest things about him. Yeah, no, I uh, I I really like him as, as a character, um, and I think I think you guys 
hit the nail on the head. It's because he is a Vulcan that is different than Spock. I think you kind of get kind of get this sense that he, even though he's not going to show emotion, um, he's he kind of has that fierceness about him. Um, at least in this first episode alone, and you, as you said, he's a tactical officer, and he, he just he just knows a lot about the enemy, knows what's what's going to happen basically, and you know Spock rightfully so did did have some of those moments as well, um, but I I love Tuvok, I like I like his character a lot, um, he's a good addition to to uh, at least the Voyager, um. Anything else on the Voyager? Maybe specifically like story elements of that first episode. You said you said you really didn't uh, care too much about the caretaker, right, Chris? Yeah, I mean the the thing that I just kind of go back to when it comes to uh, the episode as a whole is that, like I said before, it does its job effectively of getting mm-hmm. the crew so far from what they know. Um, I mean, on paper, that mean that that seems to communicate. Wow, this is really a Star Trek that wants to go where no one has gone before. Um, <laughs> the the how well it actively accomplishes that promise. Maybe it's not fair to the first episode, but it kind of retroactively colors my perceptions of the first episode because uh, there's not a ton of overarching new ground that's broken over the course of the next seven years. I mean, the thing that... I mean, Cicero alluded to to what Voyager is primarily known for in terms of some of the characters that it would introduce later and some of the places that it goes. But um, the the best Voyager episodes uh, really kind of take the concept and push it forward into something that had not really ever been seen before. Like, I'm a big fan of uh, the Year of Hell two-parter later on in the series because that uh, it makes the ship and the people on it confront what it means to die and to try and come to an effective end as much as they possibly can to try and make a difference against (laughs) an implacable foe. Uh, there's another episode that's just, it's arguably one of the most cynical Star Trek episodes that has ever been created, where you find out that the crew as a whole and the ship has actually been copied and aren't really the Voyager crew, and they're dying, and there's no trace of their existence at all by the time they're, like, they're, they're trying to make it to Voyager, to the real Voyager for help. But before it can get there, everything just breaks down, everybody dies, and no one can tell that something was even there. And then when the real Voyager comes and scans the little cloud of dust that's there, they can't tell what it was. And it's just like, oh my god, this is extremely dour and dark for a Star Trek show. So you can't say that that's not new ground that it tried to break, (laughs) but um, not quite in the direction I'd want to go to. But, uh, no, Voyager, it's an interesting show, and the first episode does a good job of sort of setting the table for what it's going to be, but in comparison with other first Star Trek episodes, it just doesn't seem to uh, carve... It it leans so much into the fact that, look, we're on a ship again, and we're we're exploring with really unknown, because no one else is around, and we can't get back up and all this other stuff. It leans so far into that, that there's almost not enough room 
to uh, make enough of a declarative statement about how it's going to set itself apart from what we've seen before, yeah. at least in my opinion. What's What's funny is uh, when I was watching uh, the character caretaker again was it caregiver or the caretaker it's the taker, care, caretaker 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so it, um there's a moment in there where uh Harry Kim and Belana Torres are on the they're they're about to be on on the the planet and in the white room there you know mm-hmm. but right before that uh Kim wakes up as he's about to be probed and that is, I'm, I sat there and I guffawed at that moment because if you've watched the series or as you watch the series, you realize that that's a trope. Harry Kim being like, Harry Kim is the Kenny, is South Park's Kenny of of Voyager. Oh, no. Uh, where, <laughs> where, I really like yes, this character. exactly, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, so they so they don't, they don't kill him um, per se, or do they? But um, he's the but, guinea but, pig. <laughs> but 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 he is. He is the. If something bad is going to happen to the crew, oh man, I can guarantee you, eight times out of ten, that it happens to Harry Kim first, and he never and gets a promotion, or right, the entirety right, exactly, of the seven the, years, the entirety of the series. Yeah. Man. Um, that's rough. So, so yeah, but but you know, so like, so the I think one of the contrasts that we can draw from these two series, um, and and you know what it, what's what's kind of brilliant is the fact that you you had to pick these two series as opposed to picking TNG and DS Nine is that the contrast or the or the 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 contrast between them couldn't be more stark in terms of. DS9 started in its premiere episode uh, or episodes set up set up the setting, establish the setting, but also establish that each and every character th- that you'll be following has something about them that you will want to discover that there is more to, you know, this onion that yeah. needs to be peeled away. They're not just going to be a uh, vo- butt of the joke, you know, that type of Right, thing. right. But And Voyager Voyager said, all right, well, our characters, you know, yes, our cast are characters, and you will get some development of them, but the, the real character is space and the adventures and the ship mm-hmm. and all of that other stuff. And so... While there is depth of for those characters and there is nuance to those characters, their archetypes are are clearly defined and they kind of live through those archetypes through most of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, Neelix is is the plucky, pesty, you know, kind of you know sometimes useful companion as he is in the in the first episode. Tuvok very much is is uh, a a stoic, pragmatic, uh, Vulcan, tactical Vulcan. Uh, you know, Janeway is Janeway does have has some some depth to her, but Chakotay is is very much um, kind of combative. Kind of you know speaks says what he has to say, but is also uh, you know like that that the Starfleet in him does come out over the course of 
of every episode and you know so you can see that he it's right for him to be the second in command um and torres is is like she's angry and fiery but you know she takes no gruff and that's kind of who she is and tom paris is is a little bit of a womanizer um it like there was the moment we are introduced to tom paris and he's on his way to voyager that moment where he is uh very swarmy towards the the uh, the the pilot that is flying him in the shuttlecraft up to Voyager, and I'm sitting there like, wow, that is that's a cringeworthy moment that wouldn't play well on you know 2020 television, <laughs> um, you know. And I'm kind of I'm glad that we're we're beyond that, uh, where she just had to ignore his advances and give him some some uh, sarcastic one liner to kind of tell him to to fall back. But um, but those characters are pretty much. Who, like if we had to paint them as archetypes, they're pretty much who they are in that first episode. Towards you know, by the time we get to the hundred and fiftieth episode, and that is a really pivotal point too, because honestly, like if I have to give the credit where it's due, this episode caretaker is arguably far more watchable than the TNG pilot is. The thing is, like so. As I said before, Caretaker doesn't do enough, in, in my opinion, to sort of set its own identity for itself. That being said, that's mostly just in terms of concept. Because Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode of The Next Generation, it's more that the novelty of Star Trek on TV has returned. The characters are very different at the end of TNG when compared to where they are when you meet them in the beginning. And they are, frankly, not as interesting. Um, and you can't say that about Caretaker and Voyager, because, as Cicero said, everybody is very consistently portrayed throughout the entirety of the seven years. That might indicate a degree of arrested development with those characters in comparison with the next generation. But still, there is that kind of sense of episodic reliability that you get over the course of the entirety of Voyager that, uh, that the other shows didn't have. And um, there are some multi-part stories in Voyager, but for the most part, it is a pretty straight episodic show, very much unlike Deep Space Nine, very much like The Next Generation. But TNG still seemed to have an allowance for more active individual development of the characters, and even the core cast changed a couple of times over the course of that series. Um, but Voyager was very consistent, save for one example that brought in arguably its most fascinating character. And she's the most fascinating character for the reasons that you don't think would make her the most fascinating character in Seven of Nine. So it's easier for me to watch Caretaker. And I don't want to contend because I don't think that it's a bad episode. It's a good episode. It's a good Star Trek episode. Um, it's just when I compare them retrospectively and compare it with the other first Star Trek episodes, it just doesn't stand out as much. That's where my grievances, if you can even call them that, probably lie. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it, it's an entertaining watch. Uh, it brings you on a, as, as Cicero said, it brings you on a trek once again uh, to just space that is uncharted space that is unknown and you kind of get this sci-fi uh story that you know it starts developing some characters but yeah you just don't you don't get that you don't get that feeling that you do you don't get the connection that you do at least to the characters in deep space nine i 
I I think that the characters in Deep Space Nine make that episode great. That first episode. Um, as far as watchability, I think the Voyager first episode may be a little bit better. But from what you guys are saying, I'm thoroughly excited to trek no pun intended to the into the rest of uh well or maybe the pun was intended <laughs> into the rest of the series um especially in deep space nine just because of how uh highly praised you have been uh, given those that cast and uh those those that that series i mean chris you even said that it's probably your favorite series out of all this star trek well i think it's the best one my favorite best one is one. still the original Okay. Um, but you know, for, for very different reasons. Um, so I separate the two in that respect, but I can't deny the greatness of DS nine. I can't even try with a straight face and anyone who's seen it can't even try. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I concur. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would definitely recommend Mike watching both series. Um, uh, uh, because like we said, you know, even less great Trek is still great Trek. And mm-hmm. and um, there is there is lots to show, uh, as as Chris talked about with Seven of Nine. This is a character that is still three and a half seasons away from from debuting on on the series based on the episode that you watched, um, and uh, and and she's she's a great character, and the development of her character through through the remainder of that series is phenomenal. Uh, so much so that she she is part of the pantheon of great Star Trek characters uh, to the point where she was in Picard. She was a major, major get in, in Star Trek Picard. Um, but my favorite character of that series and and my the arc that I enjoy the most is is not even a person in in the emergency medical hologram, um, the EMH program is a character that was kind of an afterthought in that episode. Um, you realize that you're going to be with him for a bit because, you know, here they are 75,000 light years or 75 years at maximum warp away from home and uh, in the Gamma Quadrant and they have no doctor and they're going to have to use this this program that is that is set up to to do that in an emergency. Yeah, they, they um, literally got so lucky somebody invented that, you know. Well, and that's seriously. that's something that's explored on the show, <laughs> too. Uh, Absolutely. But, Absolutely. And I have to, I have to, Cicero brought it up, but I do have to backpedal on something that I just said because if there is a single exception to all of the characters that you encounter in the right. first episode and where they are at the, at the end of the series, the Doctor is a totally different character. And it makes perfect sense why he is the one that has developed the most. And that's because he basically developed sentience. He developed his own personality. He developed ways that he could set himself apart from every other fake doctor that's installed on, a, on board a starship because the necessity is that he becomes a part of the crew and then he becomes a part of the family. Uh, so the doctor is definitely one of the more fascinating characters in the entirety of the franchise. And he's certainly one of the absolutely most fascinating characters on this show and indications are that we will be seeing him again very soon. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sound excited. There you go. <laughs> well, um, any other thoughts on either, either of the first episodes? I mean, I think we covered it really well. Um, 
Uh, the only thought that I have is one that I share to as many people as I can every day that I can, and that is just watch more Star Trek. It's a great franchise. There's plenty of room in the fandom. Come on in. Give it a shot. <laughs> Check it out. If you haven't really given it the time of day before, maybe consider giving it another look because there are so many different dimensions across its entire history. You know, several different TV series across different decades, all trying to say different things at different times to try and appeal to people in the moments in which they live. And then you have a legacy of 13 films of varying quality, but most of them are pretty good. And, uh, and and they tend to go in different directions than the TV shows do. And there's only more Star Trek to come. And I'm so happy that I could say that now. Because for a long time, the people who own Star Trek didn't really seem to care all that much about it. And weren't giving it resources. And thankfully, that's not the case anymore. At least for the moment. So come on into Star Trek. There's plenty of room and the water's fine. Oh, thanks for, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I've had a blast talking about Star Trek uh, with you both. Once again, thank you for joining on the podcast. Um, we like to end the uh, podcast with, what have you been up to? Um, like, anything. Video games? Have you been reading books? Have you been watching movies? I mean, obviously you guys maybe have been watching Star Trek, <laughs> but what, what, <laughs> what else have you been up to? Like, let let us let us know about you. <laughs> <laughs> who who's uh well all right uh, then i i will go first uh so what have i been up to uh i just bought a house so uh moving yes. <laughs> you know? you go. Yeah. so unpacking uh i've been up to a lot of that um and uh i've also been um uh let's see sheltering in place and you know not because i'm quarantined um but because it's the right thing to do and when i go out i'm, I'm also wearing my mask also because it's the right thing to do uh, we're all in this together and you know that kind of goes back to star trek it goes it goes back to understanding uh that it is easy to be a saint in paradise um but when when the times get rough uh how how we treat our fellow human is 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 more telling of who we are as people than than who we how we act in the good times and that is part of Gene Roddenberry's vision. It's part of the vision that I think has been carried on into the 80s, the 90s, with uh, these two series that we that we saw today, uh, or that we discussed today, and even today with today's Trek. Um, so you know, it is definitely a part of my life and and the and a part of the way that I view the world. Um, but uh, and you know, more fun stuff. Uh, I've been podcasting, like you saw me on Unlocked. Uh, I was recently on an episode of uh, Jeff Kanata's uh, podcast with Christian Spicer, DLC. Um, I will be hosting this week on a, a podcast network that I'm part of, The Incomparable Network, at The Incomparable on Twitter, uh, a, a review panel for Spike Lee's latest movie, The Five Bloods, uh, that's on Netflix. Um, uh, spoiler alert, I liked it very, very much. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so, uh, you guys can stay tuned to my, my channels to see, to see when that, when that is actually published and out and ready for consumption. Um, but yeah, I'll, you know, outside of that, it's just, uh, working, being a dad and a partner and, you know, trying to love life and, and spread as much joy as I possibly can to all the boys and girls. 
<laughs> I like that. Chris, what have you been up to, man? Uh, well, outside of uh, trying to acclimatize to being a dad. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's taking up a lot of time. But, no, I mean, um, how, how, old thanks- is your, how old is your baby so far? Two months as of a couple days ago. Wow. So, oh, my goodness. So she's, you got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me about uh, it. Chris, Chris, you got that wrong. She's eight weeks. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. No, you're right. She's eight weeks. You're right. Yeah, I get, yeah. See, I can't even get that part right. You can't, on, you can't, start, you can't start counting months <laughs> until after a year. Oh, that's the tw- benchmark. Okay. Right. Right. So oh, at okay. a year, you start counting months. And then you can be an annoying parent and keep counting months after three years old. Okay. Be- because there are those people that I are I didn't out there. know that there were these many rules <laughs> attached to it. Oh, listen, 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 well, brother. You, so you don't, you, you don't get a rule book. There is no, there's no instruction manual. But every parent is willing to offer up this advice for free, even if you don't want it. And so here is your unwanted advice of the day. It is weeks until a year it's months until two years most for most people some people take it to three years and then there are those that shall not be named that will say that their children are 58 months okay all right, you know? all right. All <laughs> or i could just first, say first i'm all, 390 months right is that what something i could do whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Yes, guys, guys guys this is my podcast i need to lay down right, the law yeah. here i'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, I have anyway. an eight. I have an eight-month-old, and I and I call him eight months. I don't do the math, bro. I'm not doing the math. Right. <laughs> so feel free to do two months, Chris. I'm <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that that's, math. That's thirty-three weeks, Mike. So <laughs> I didn't know math was going to enter into the equation until oh, they're man, old enough always. to do homework. I mean, come right. on. <laughs> but uh, it's highly illogical. <laughs> But in terms of other stuff, I mean, I'm a I'm a big comic book fan, and um, Matt, you know, if you're I, I saw a, a that fan, I saw that on Twitter. Um, you do you run a you run a podcast that does like gaming and comics, right? Or is it a new project coming up? Uh, well, I, I got a couple. So I've got a comic book reading podcast with my friend and longtime co-hosting partner um, Paul Herman. It's just called the Comic Binge, and basically what we do is we try and go into the comic book streaming apps, uh, so DC Universe, Marvel Unlimited, Comicsology Unlimited, and just pick out a story to read. Uh, we tell people what it is ahead of time, and then they can listen to Paul and I talk about it. Um, so we actually just released an episode of that show today where we just kind of talk about what we've been up to. And then the next time we get together to record, we're going to be talking about uh, the beginning of Marv Wolfman and George Perez's run on New Teen Titans from the 80s. Uh, it's a series that I read a while ago, but I haven't read it um, in several years, so I'm going to be revisiting that with Paul, and that should be fun. If you're a fan of Batman the Animated Series, then I highly recommend Batman the Adventures Continue, written by Paul Dini and Alan Burnett, and it's effectively a continuation of the animated series, and the art Ooh. style is nice. even in um, the way that the animated series itself was rendered by yeah. Bruce Timm. So that's a highly recommended series. Um, I'm a big Superman fan, so I'm reading a a fair amount of Brian Michael Bendis' current run on Superman, trying to get caught up on that. And then odds and ends here and there. Big, big comic book fan. But I also do have a comic book video game podcast called Comics on Consoles, where I basically try and examine comic book-related video games. 
And uh, it's been a while since I released a major full episode of that show. Um, but I did recently release a couple of um, smaller scale backup features is what I'm calling them. One was about the Iron Man VR demo that dropped a, a, in May, I think. And then the other one was just sort of a review and discussion of the 2018 Spider-Man game released for the PlayStation 4. Um, I, ju- I but just I also I just beat that oh. game, and yeah, man, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's a solid best, game. Best, it's very yeah. solid. Best game of the generation for me. Oh, really? Well, you're really? taking it that far. Best, best wow. game. Best game of the generation. For wow. Well, I don't. So, so I'm a dad. I'm a dad of two, and I, I just don't get much gaming in outside of, right. Right. Uh, you know, my Apex Legends and Call of Duty or something like that. Uh, <laughs> so, finishing Spider-Man was a. Yeah miracle <laughs> it, right, it right. emphasizes well, a, how much you love that, that yeah. yeah that's an endorsement on how yeah. on how great it is and as mm-hmm. part of the reason sorry to to turn this into the spider-man love fest but like part of the reason that it's the the best game of the generation for me is its level of accessibility mm-hmm. right where where it 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 sets its rules it shows you how to play you you understand the learning curve right or the meta of like oh much in the same way that I felt like Batman in the in the Arkham series. Spider-Man, once I start playing Spider-Man as if I am Spider-Man, it uh, like that game clicks and it works for me. Oh yeah. And then mm-hmm. it never gets so difficult that it becomes frustrating for someone who only has 2 hours to game yeah. in a night and and so you can go in and you say, all right, I can play this game for an hour or two hours and I can accomplish something without getting frustrated and I can move the story along and have fun with this game. And, and you know, so not only is it, is it accessible in that way, but the story is great and the, and the score is great and what you have to do is great and it looks phenomenal and you feel like the character that you're supposed to embody and all of those things come together in in a way that I don't think any other game in this generation has been able to to uh, to match. I actually did just finish a new game plus playthrough on ultimate difficulty, so I have 100%ed all of the trophies in that game. There you go. Uh, most platinum most platinum game on uh, PlayStation. Network. I can believe that. Triple uh, I mean, triple A triple A game. Sure, yeah, and most, I can absolutely most platinum, believe AAA that. Game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so we, we released an episode where I awesome. um, I reviewed it, and then with my friend Paul, we sort of talk over it because Spider Man is his favorite superhero ever. So that was a fun thing to do. I did just get the full Iron Man VR game, and I've been playing it here and there. Uh, I think it's terrific so far, um, especially considering that they finished it under some pretty difficult circumstances. Uh, it got in de- delayed indefinitely because of the pandemic, and it looked mm-hmm. like we didn't know when it was going to come out and then they just finally mm-hmm. released it this past Friday. Uh, and it's, it's good so far. And I'm also for shame, but I had never played the last of us and I just finished the first game. Uh, and I started the second one. So it's not, um, it's not shame. I've never even played it. So. It's, you know, it's really good. I mean, I, in the first game, I don't know how widespread an opinion this is, but I kind of don't like the guy you play as. Uh, he's yeah, kind yeah. of a jerk, Joel. and it's hard to <laughs> sort of empathize yeah. with him in a couple of key places outside of some suffering that he's gone through in the beginning of it. And then the second game just takes a different tact with the story, at least with what I've played so far. 
So, I mean, they, they definitely put a lot of time and energy and polish into it, and it is a very emotionally resonant story, but it is kind of a story about a compromised world with that's just full of compromised people. And uh, so that kind of makes it a little hard for me to get into some of the characters outside of maybe uh, Ellie in the first game. But um, no, but they're really good games and they're worth playing. And just the polish that they have makes them worth checking out all on their own. Um, So that's kind of what I've been up to. Comics, video games, and fathering. Fathering. Interesting combination. Well, if you need some tips, I have a three-year-old and an eight-month-old, so... I got your back. I need tips. I promise you. I need <laughs> tips. Um, so uh, I've been I've been packing because uh, we're uh, getting ready to sell our house and uh, move to something bigger. Um, we, speaking right. speaking of the two kids, our kitchen. If like if my wife's cooking and I'm in the kitchen, and then my eight month old is just crawling everywhere, and then my three year old comes in, we have no room. So <laughs> we're just like, we need a bigger house. Um, so we're just, we're uh, getting everything ready. Um, got some promising uh, houses to look at. Uh, we're looking at some on Tuesday. So, uh, Man, that's got to be tough, doing all that in the middle of everything going on right now. Thankfully, our county is, is lighter. Um, I mean, you guys are in the Chicagoland area. We... Like currently, we only have last time I read eighteen active um, cases of COVID versus I, I can only assume in the hundreds for uh, Chicagoland. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean it's right now is a seller's market, so we're trying to pounce on it. Um, yeah, right, right. Because exactly. like you know, the hot, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so yeah, doing that. Um, I've been collecting some retro consoles i'm i'm a small streamer on uh on twitch so um i've been collecting some retro consoles. i just bought a gamecube um nice yeah so uh got some be playing some super mario sunshine (laughs) no i'm gonna i'm gonna wait for the switch re-release i'm banking on that actually happening i hope it happens Uh, i've been waiting for a, a remaster of the metroid prime trilogy now for (laughs) <laughs> How old am I? For about right. that long, it seems. So we'll oh, see what hilarious. happens. Um, so yeah, I just got a GameCube. Um, a, a community member of mine sent me an Xbox 360 to uh, play some older games on that as well. Um, so yeah, and then uh, I'm a huge into Battle Royales. Uh, that's what I mainly stream. Um, so Apex Legends, Warzone, I've been playing those. Um, been playing, uh, I'm trying to create a series, uh, for my YouTube channel on like some of the older Maddens. Cause that's what I grew up playing. Like sports games were my life growing up. So I actually collected every single Madden, um, up until Madden 13. Um, cause I have, I have, uh, I have EA access on my Xbox, so I could just get the newest ones for the Xbox one for free off there. So yeah, just uh, planning all that stuff. Um, haven't been reading any comics. Comics are expensive. I don't know how you do it, Chris. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. Don't know how. Well, um, well I, I, you know, I used to be a retailer, so uh, I worked <laughs> about six and a half years behind the the counter at a comic book store. So I'm a big believer in uh, in in local comic book stores. But for a lot so of people, 
if um, you know if if the monetary side of it is a, a big issue and it's understandable because cover prices have only gone up and up and up mm-hmm. in the last several years, uh, look into DC Universe and look into Marvel Unlimited because it's a great way to absorb a back catalog of stuff yeah. at a much lower price point. Yeah. Um, no, I and, and DC Universe is a great app and it doesn't seem like it gets a, a ton of attention i mean the only reason i sign up for it is for the comics that it has in the back catalog yeah. and they're mm-hmm. they're great if you're a dc guy then yeah it's solid I'm, I'm more of a marvel guy um okay <laughs> probably marvel, marvel unlimited is really solid too i mean it's the <laughs> actually the the catalogs between the two are pretty complimentary like in terms of just yeah. the sheer, sheer content that they have but some really great stuff there yeah um, and then, last but not least, uh, my wife and I started watching Hamilton last night on Disney Plus. Nice. So nice. pretty excited to finish that. We only got to the intermission just because nice. we're parents and we are tired. So, of course. <laughs> yeah. um, you guys got anything yeah. else to share? Uh, uh, let's see. Um, things I've got things to plug. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, should I be sharing? Should I be sharing those? <laughs> Um, I guess, uh, so a thing to plug would be, uh, that Hamilton was phenomenal. I just (laughs) finished watching it today, uh, for the, for the very first time. So that was great. So I'm excited for you guys. Um, but, uh, as I said, uh, check out, uh, the incomparable real soon, or just actually just check me out at stubby Stan on, uh, on Twitter. And you can, if you follow me, then, uh, I will, uh, you know, I'm sure that I'll likely post where where I'll be next or where you can hear me next or see me next. Um, I also want to uh, shout out uh, my castmates over at uh, Rivals of Waterdeep. Uh, that is an yes. actual play mm-hmm. tabletop role-playing game uh, hosted or on uh, Watsi on the Wizards of the Coast actual D- D&D channel. Uh, um, I am a member of the cast, but I'm not on this season. Uh, so it's taking a little bit of a break because it was moving and, you know, life gets in the way, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, if you guys are D&D fans or if you're looking to see if you can get into D&D um, and you want to check out a stream, you can definitely check uh, us out on twitch.tv slash D&D every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, Twitch.tv slash D&D Rivals of Waterdeep. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Rivals Waterdeep or on your favorite podcatcher. Just put in Rivals of Waterdeep. We're there. And we're also our videos. Uh, our VODs are available on YouTube. I believe they're on the uh if you just put in the search thing for Rivals of Waterdeep, you'll get you know, you'll, get it. <laughs> you'll find it. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh yeah, that's that's it for the stuff besides uh, our captain of of our bridge crew, DSC Debrief, Discovery Debrief, Chris Cloud. I'll leave that to you. <laughs> Thank you very much, my friend. So, yeah, I mean, um, if you're interested in checking out Discovery Debrief, check us out on Twitter at DSC Debrief. Uh, you can find us on pretty much any major app that you absorb your favorite podcasts on. Uh, happy to welcome new people to the fold. One of these days, Cicero and I are going to have to get on Star Trek Bridge Crew and and play that game with some people because I think that would be fun. There you go. Um, <laughs> in terms of uh, my own stuff, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Clow, C-H-R-A-S-C-L-O-W. Uh, I tweet random thoughts about 
comics, movies, video games, what have you. And then um, you can check out my comic book video game podcast, Comics on Consoles, at its website, comicsonconsoles.com. And uh, I also post um, occasional things that I work on just at my own website, which is buychriscloud.com. Uh, I have a bunch of video game and movie reviews on there if you're interested in uh, checking out more of that stuff. And, um, yeah, looking forward to getting back into the debrief mold with my friend Cicero. Awesome, guys. Well, once again, thank you guys for joining me uh, for this trek of a podcast. This is the longest podcast I've ever recorded. And I'm thankful <laughs> thankful for you guys' Sorry? expertise. No, <laughs> no need to apologize. I love it. Um I love podcasting. It's something that I always wanted to get into and uh, just starting out. It's been, it's been a blast so far. So once again, thanks for guys. Thank you guys for joining me. Uh, This is the nineties first. We'll see you guys later. Have a good night.